Well, man, we are so glad that you were here in church today. It was a dark day in Mudville last night. The Chanticleer's perfect record was blemished by Appalachian State. Then the Clemson Tigers did what the Clemson Tigers have been doing this year. And then the Gamecocks were the Gamecocks, which, you know, we're used to. But then all of a sudden, out of the cloud of darkness, after 22 long years, the Atlanta Braves rose up and sent the Los Angeles Dodgers back home. I, I know that for some of you, you could care less about this, but you don't understand. I lived in L.A. in that area for 13 years, and I have put up with all of the laughter and the jeering, and I have cried out for my soul, as David did in the Psalms, How long, O oh Lord? Well, the 90s forsake the Atlanta Braves, and last night, I got, I got hit with double-A batteries in Dodger Stadium for cheering Chipper Jones on for hitting a home run. I was not obnoxious about it. I was Christian about it. But they threw batteries at me nonetheless. So I'd be lying to you if I didn't walk out on the porch of 140 Painter Road last night when the Braves sent the enemy back to the wasteland. And I didn't let out a hallelujah from, from like in my gut. You know, like just praise God. You know, so anyway, I hope you're good. If you're not a Brave fan, I'm sorry. We're praying for you. Um, man, what, what a great time to be here. I am humbled uh, to have the opportunity to be your pastor uh, and to serve you. And I mean that. Uh, it's my job to be a lead servant in this church. Um, Jesus says in Mark 10, 45, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if you're going to be a pastor, you better look like, act like, and live like Jesus. And I want to be like Jesus humbly before you. Now, I'm going to fail you. Because uh, I can get carnal and talk about the Braves more than I should. And I may love Clemson a little bit more than any person should love Clemson, okay? Like, I may still have some of my identity worked up in it. As my old barber used to say, I'm saved, but my mouth's still working on it. I'm saved, but I'm still working on not loving Clemson as much as I should, okay? I just want to get that out. It feels good to get that out in, in the open. Uh, but we've been studying the 23rd Psalm for the last four weeks, and we have this gap week. I was actually supposed to be in California last night, but due to some traveling complications, some things with my son, I ended up not going out there, and so I got to be here to preach with you. And we've got two weeks before we're going to start this Christmas series called Rise of the King. Dun, dun, dun. It's going to be epic. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Uh, so we're going to start that Christmas series the first of November. It'll get more Christmassy as we go, and you'll get the idea when we get into it. Studying straight from the request of Israel asking for a king in Saul to Jesus giving them a real king named Jesus. And we're going to watch that ramp up as we get ready to prepare our hearts for Christmas and the Christmas season that's on the horizon. And it's already begun, right? Because Hallmark last night decided they're going to ruin TV. With, with movies that you do not know the ending of for the next, every Saturday night. And so I'm good with it. As long as my wife cuddles with me, we can watch them. That's fine. I mean, there's nothing better on. It's not like I want to watch Clemson lose again. So um, <clears throat> might as well watch a happy ending because Clemson, it's not going to be a happy ending. It's just it's going to be what it is. Um, so we're going to get ready for that. But I wanted to do something um, that is measurable and specific and practical to us as a congregation. Um, 2022, excuse me, not 2000, in the year 2000, Y2K, um, <clears throat> that, that did a number on us, but 2020 and 2021 really did a number on church, not this church, but like church. Um, people got out of the habit of going to church, uh, we're really asking lots of questions about what does it mean to be a part of a local church, if I just sit at home in my pajamas, having not showered all week, is that church? Uh, you know, what, what makes church, church? And I want us to get back to being an active, engaging church. And so for the next two weeks, I want to talk about community, and I want to talk about evangelism, and I'm telling you that because I trust that you're going to be big Christian enough and put your big boy and girl Christian pants on and still come to church, even though we're talking about evangelism next week. Because a lot of times evangelism and money, they're right up there with our two least favorite sermons to hear. Because they're the things that we don't want God's advice on what we should or shouldn't be doing. And so we usually are like, oh, I conveniently am going to be in West Columbia. And no one goes to West Columbia for fun, so we already know what you're doing. Okay? Just throwing that out there. So uh, today I want to do a message called Find Your Few. Find Your Few. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Find Your Few. And I'll ask it this way. How many of you have had a moment in your life where in the rearview mirror you look back on a season and said, man, in that season of life, I grew exponentially in my faith. Like, like I was here in my relationship with God, but I realized, man, I, I grew so much and took a huge step to there 
uh, in that season. And how many of you have had one of those? Like you can look back and go, man, I, I've grown. I grew in that season. Right, amen. If you didn't, that's okay. But um, what I would submit to you about all of those seasons of life, when you grew exponentially, that I would submit to you this. There were some specific people that God appointed, placed in your life, who spurred you on, challenged you, loved you well through a rough and difficult time uh, in that season, who were major players in God's work in that growth. In fact, I would submit to you that no one has had a significant season of growth apart from the people of God at work in and around their life. That in every season of growth, there are people that God appoints, puts into your life that walk with you, that love you, that refuse to quit on you even when you quit on yourself. And as a result of it, you come out the other side more like Jesus, uh, more, more uh, Christ-filled, more spirit-filled, more obedient to Jesus, more loving of Jesus than you were in the season prior to that. And it has a lot to do with the fact that God uses people like you and me to make a difference in people like you and me. For some of those people, for me, in one of my last seasons of life were Pastor Mark and Pastor Daniel. These two guys, for 13-ish years almost, were just the people that loved me and knew me. And I mean they knew me. Like they didn't know like Pastor Russ on stage barefoot preaching me. They knew me at home on the weekend when things weren't going well. They knew me on the way to church whenever my kids were going crazy. And I said things that no one should say, even if you're not a preacher. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they... knew me. And we were very different. It's not like these are like people that I just had the most in common with, and so we just hung out all the time. I mean, this guy is holding up a peace sign, and it's not because he's a hippie. It's actually because he went to the real USC, not, not the one in Columbia. I'm talking in Southern California, and they put up this, I know, you're, we're working on you. Jesus is going to save you. It's going to be great. Um, <clears throat> but This means fight on. For years, I thought in every picture when he would do this, I thought he was just like wanting everyone to hug trees and stuff, and we were happy. And so so finally one day I was like, why are you putting the peace sign up? He's like, I went to USC. It means fight on. I was like, oh, I feel silly. So so that's a a running joke. But Daniel's very different. He's really into video gaming and streaming, and I I don't like any of that stuff. Like that's a, a terrible idea. Like I don't want a digital farm. You can't eat a digital farm. If I'm going to turn up, I want turnips in my, in my garden. Like, that, that's what I want, not digital turnips. Like, like, that's just where I'm at. But he, he loves streaming and gaming, and he's reaching people for Jesus and gaming. He's like, this guy in London, you know, I'm sending him some onesies for his baby. And I'm like, why? He's like, because we sharing Jesus with them, and they just had a kid, and I want to love him. And I'm like, that's crazy. That's him. That's not me. Mark, he, went, he loves the other USC, Junior, the, the one that's got a really good women's basketball team. Amen? Praise God. Okay. And, and, and so on the surface, we don't pull for the same teams. We don't have the same hobbies and interests per se. Uh, there's an age gap between us of several years, so we didn't necessarily go to the same school or grow up in the same area. But, but these two guys loved Jesus. They loved Jesus. Like in a palpable, like when you're around them, like you just, you just love Jesus more. And I, I can't explain it, but being around them made me want to love Jesus more. And being around them made me a better leader. It made me a better pastor. Being around them made me a better husband to my wife and a better dad to my kids. Do you have any people in your life that it's almost like God just appointed? He put them in your life and they just spurred you, nudged you, graciously loved you. You didn't even know it was a nudge. You're just like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> what are we doing? Oh, we're going here. Okay. And, and next thing you know, you're like, man, I'm more like Jesus because of people like that that were put in my life. What I'm concerned about uh, for all of us is that we have been very loose with the word friend. Like very loose. Proverbs says you should, a friend of Many, a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so if you call everyone friend, there's a season of life that you'll go through that we all go through that's a struggle. And if we're calling the wrong people friend, it'll be to our ruin. I want you to think about that. Like, think about how much relationships matter. And if you're calling the wrong people friend and life happens, you'll find yourself alone. You'll find instead of the joy being multiplied and the burden divided, you'll find the burden being multiplied and the joy divided if you call the wrong people friend. And next thing you'll know, you'll find yourself in a season of extreme isolation and discouragement because you didn't find your few. Some of you have been there. Some of you perhaps are a casualty of calling the wrong people friend 
And as a result of it, you didn't become more like Jesus, you became more complacent and like the American church. See, I cannot stress to you how important it is for you and I to prayerfully find our few. We've got to find a few, a few that are friends. And look at what it says at the end of that proverb. It says, a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there's a brother that is closer. There's a friend that is closer than a brother. A friend that is closer than a brother. So it brings up friend and brother in the same sentence. What is it saying? Well, here's what I want you to get. Your family has to put up with you. They do. They don't really have a choice. Christmas, Easter, you're going to come. They don't really want you to come, maybe. That's why you only see them at Christmas and Easter, but you get the obligatory invite. You tracking with me? Some of you, you give out obligatory invites. Like, we're okay if you don't come, but if you're going to come, you know, we gotta, we'll put out a piece of paper for a plate, and you can eat. You can sit at the table. Friends don't have to be there, though. Friends choose you. That's why this is so important. Family has to show up, but when friends show up, they chose to do it. And when you find a good friend, a good few friends, you find people that you can go to war with because this is a war that we are in in this life. Things go upside down. We go rogue. We don't think sensically in different seasons. That's why every time you go to Walmart to get milk, you come out with Batman underwear and sheets, and you're like, well, how did this happen? Because we lose our mind. And we need some people to say, stay focused on the task. Stay focused on the mission. And you need a faithful few friends who choose to show up that help you when you go rogue, when you lose your mind, when life goes crazy, that come in and they bring reality back and walk with you. They don't just tell you information, but they give you their, their presence. It's not just that they show up and tell you, well, this is what you need. I, I don't want that friend. They're the friends that show up and they walk with you in it. They divide the problem up so that you don't bear it alone. Do you have a few good friends that choose to show up? And you choose to show up for them. And you break bread with them and you share life with them and you love them well and they love you well. Now, if you don't have a few good friends, I want to do three things with you today. I want to look at this guy named Jesus who lived a really good life. Okay? Shocker. You're in church. Hopefully you knew that was coming. I want to talk to you about what it looks like to have the wrong few friends. And I want to talk to you about what it looks like to have the right few friends. And all of it's going to come in light of the example of what Jesus did. Now, let me give you a little theology here. Jesus lived a blameless and perfect life. Okay? Hope we're on the same page there. He didn't do that because he was the son of God and had superpowers. We're told theologically that Jesus was fully God and fully man. That means he never ceased being the son of God. So he wasn't a person who got really moral and really good and rose to being God. But the scriptures teach us he was God. He was God's son sent by the father and he lived the life we couldn't live and died the death we should have died. You tracking with me? Now here's what's amazing. When you get to Matthew chapter four, right after Jesus is baptized by his cousin John, it says that Jesus was led by the spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted. That's a very interesting context. What Jesus was doing is he is modeling for us what a spirit-filled life would look like for those that would trust in him, be forgiven by him, and ultimately filled by the spirit to follow in his footsteps after him. So Jesus perfectly models the Christian life for us, not so he can be the standard we never meet, but so that by the spirit of God, we could live the life that he lived. Are you tracking with me? Big boots to be walking in. That's why you need a big spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and does what you cannot do in and through yourself. So here's what I want you to get. Jesus was fully God and fully man. He was fully God in the sense that he was all-knowing, that, that he knew the beginning from the end, he knew his mission, that, that, that he had all the attributes and the characteristics of God the Father and God the Spirit. Yet, while he was on earth, he chose to set those things aside and be led and filled by the Spirit of God and led by the Spirit of God so that he could be a substitutionary atonement for you and I he could pay for our sin, number one. And number two, so that he could live a spirit-filled life so that you and I would know what the Christian life would look like after he left. It's a lot, okay? So Jesus, in living that life, led by the Spirit, I want you to get this, didn't hang out with everybody equally. Why? Because he couldn't be, while he was on earth, in the flesh, in all places at all times. He stepped into time and was bound by time. He was tired. He suffered. He had the full human experience. He wept. He got hungry. He felt the full human experience. He was tempted. 
He began to sweat blood whenever he was facing the cross and death. Like, like you and I wonder how he can be called an all-sufficient Savior, why Jesus is so good. That's because in every season of life in the human experience, Jesus can walk with you because he's felt and experienced what you experienced, yet without sin he overcame it so he can lead you in that. So that's why we look to Jesus. That's why we're so radically in love with Jesus in this church. Are you tracking with me? So we look to Jesus, and what we, leave, what we learn from Jesus when he was on earth is he didn't hang out with everyone equally. In fact, there are four groups that I want you to see that Jesus associated with. There are crowds, crowds, assemblies, groups, and a few. And you're, you're going to hear me repeat this over and over again. Jesus, with his time on earth, spent time in crowds, spent time in the assembly, spent time in a group, and spent time with a few. Let let me show you this as an example. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 and 3, it says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who had become known as Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught people from the boat. Now, Jesus consistently would come into crowds of people in different cities and then leave those crowds. He spent the least amount of time on this earth in a crowd. It's not because he was an introvert. It's because there was a specific mission to what he was doing. So yes, there was a crowd around Jesus, but Jesus didn't spend all of his time getting approval from the crowd, trying to uh, just uh, pour out his life lavishly in the crowd as it was changing over and over again. No, the, the crowd is a group of people in your life and in my life that are always around, but it's frequently changing. You aren't familiar with them, and they aren't necessarily familiar with you. You may know of them, but you don't know them. How do you know they're the crowd? Well, Jesus later would say, if you want to be one with me, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, and the crowd leaves. The crowd's there for transactional purposes only. There's a common interest and a common need that you all have that puts you in that place. Death Valley draws a crowd. Williams Bryce draws a crowd until halftime. <laughs> I got to stop. I know, it, but it, it, they're true. That's why it's funny, okay? Okay. Um, it draws a crowd, right? Uh, there, there's crowds that, that you'll find yourself in. You can go to the Bilo Center for a concert, there's a crowd, right? They're all there because there's something that they're interested in that brings them there. But you don't, they don't know your life story. They don't know what's going on with you. They don't know your background. They don't, they don't know your testimony. Like, they, 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 in general, you're a stranger and they're a stranger. And you may sit in the same section as them long enough that they become a familiar face in the crowd. But nonetheless, if there's not a game, they're not going to be there. So there were crowds that followed Jesus around, but he didn't spend the majority of his time in the crowds. Instead, he also had this group called an assembly. Luke chapter 6 speaks of this assembly. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. This is right before he was going to select his group, known as his disciples. And And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12. Now I want you to get that. It's believed that Jesus had around 120 people that would follow loosely him around as he went place to place. This was made up of women, perhaps children that were a part of this, that were walking with Jesus. Now, out of that assembly, Jesus grabbed a group, a, a smaller number of people that he spent the majority of his life with so that we would get firsthand accounts like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even John's account of the life of Jesus. Those stories, a lot of them that we read, come from conversations that happen after the crowd left, and after the assembly was a little bit further away, the group got together, and as the group would talk about life, the disciples grew because of their interaction with Jesus in that group. So the assembly would, would be like being in a church. But I want to submit to you that just showing up to church is not enough for you to grow significantly over a large season of time in your life. You're going to need a group. A group of people that put action to the ideas that you heard in the assembly. A group of people that, that know you a little bit more than the surface level of being in an assembly where people see you and they're like, how you doing? And if you were to answer them, they would be freaked out. That's how you know it's the assembly. You come into church and they're like, how you doing? And you're like, well, I said words I shouldn't have said to my children. I slammed the door on one of them's hand. It may be broken, but we came to church anyway because, you know, Jesus heals. Um, <clears throat> and and I, I'm pretty sure that my wife is going to make me sleep on the sofa tonight. That's how we're doing it. And, and if they're in the assembly, they're probably going to be like, okay, good would have been sufficient. 
Bless your heart. Because they just aren't those people that go below the surface with you. They love Jesus. They're a part. They're going to be in the heavenly host that worship Jesus together. But at the end of the day, the assembly is not a place where you're going to be known intimately enough to be held accountable, to be encouraged, to have your grief divided, to have your joy multiplied, and for you to grow over a long season of your life. The assembly is close enough for you to see them and for them to perhaps see you. Perhaps even in a season of life you have personal interaction with them. You serve on a team in a larger, in a larger setting or something like that. But predominantly you see or talk to them at a surface level once a week. That's the assembly. Like The majority of us are not going to have a conversation outside of Sunday in this room. And if you're going to grow, there's got to be someone who's talking to you about Jesus outside of me for 30-ish minutes every Sunday. If you want to grow. I want you to grow. I want you to be more like Jesus. I don't know what your starting point is today, but I don't want it to be your, your landing spot a year from today. And in order for that to happen, you're going to need a group. So within the assembly, Jesus had a group, a group of 12 disciples that walked around with him, that, that followed him. And in this group, these people, they loved Jesus. They shared a lot of life with Jesus. They, they, they shared meals together. They ate the Last Supper and observed Passover together. So, so these are people that are at a more intimate level in your acquaintance, that you know them at a, di- at a different level. Have you ever had a good group? A good group of people who maybe a church set up a six-week Bible study, you got into it, and, and you got into it, and in the first week you were like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wallflower, I don't want to be here. You go into it, and you're like, hey, that actually wasn't half bad and not as torturous as I thought it was going to be, and you actually enjoyed going to it and got to know some of those people at a more intimate level. You, you need a group if you're going to grow. Now, here's what I want to submit to you. Uh, as a church, we can provide for you space to find a group. In fact, we call it small groups or community groups. But here's what I can't do for you. I can't get you to the point of finding your few. I can get you into a space to find a group, but your few is on you. You've got to be proactive and preemptive in doing it. And here's why. When you have your few, there's no one needing to organize something for you to get together with them. Like, like on a spur of the moment, like you have no plans and it's like happens once a year for us and we're like, we have nothing planned tonight. What are we going to do? Let's call our few. Right? When you have your few and life goes upside down, you push your group usually away. They bring a jello mold by, but they stand in the doorway. They cook lasagna and send you a DoorDash. These are good things, okay? But your few come in the house. Your few sit with you in the grief. And when everybody else leaves within the first 72 hours, because in America, we give each other 72 hours to mourn, and then we expect you to get over it. That's what you get. Three days. But it's hard to mourn and walk through the grief process in 72 hours. Whenever you're dealing with the loss of a loved one, and the space that they filled in your life consistently, it takes you, I just want to submit to you, more than three days to start the new norm that you don't want to start. You've got to go through the processes of grief, and it's not fun, and it's not pleasant, because it's not linear. You, don't, you go step one, step two, you hit step three, and you're like, all right, we're going to go back to step one for a while. And if you don't have the right few, and it's just a group, they look at you and you're like, we were at step three. I'm here, but we got to move on. That's not your few. Your few are like, we're we're here. We choose to be here. We show up when no one else shows up. When everyone else leaves, we're still here. We overstay our welcome and we far extend beyond surface level whether or not you want us to because we love you. And whether or not you want or not, we're going to be here with you. Do you have your few? Jesus had a few. And I want you to think about this. Within the 12, there were three. Peter, James, and John. When Jesus was transfigured, he was with a few. He was with a few. Right before Jesus went to the cross, okay, and he began to perspire blood, there were a few that went further along with him than the group. If you get this, this will change your life because you're calling a lot of people your few who are actually just a good group or good assembly people. They love Jesus. But let, let me be very clear. A lot of you who are, who are dating, you heard pastors say, just because they check the box Christian doesn't mean that you should date them. Okay, just because they, show, they go to your church, just because they act like or say that they're Christian does not mean that they should be your friend or your few. 
God's got to do more in that work, in, in that group, in those people for them to go below surface. Look at what Jesus is doing. Right after the Passover dinner, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, uh, also known as the Mount of Olives, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. So we all, we all have seasons where the group has to sit here. And where we go, they aren't going to go with us because it's outside of Tuesday night group time. Because there's not a planned event for us to get together and fry turkeys. And so we leave our group, and there's this more intimate place, this more intimate moment where we are at our weakest and most vulnerable. And there are a few people who have the honor of seeing us in that state, or they don't, because we don't have a few. But Jesus had a few, and and I believe it's a model for us. He said, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zeb, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Who saw him in sorrow and trouble? His few. This is the church clothes are gone. There's no coffee cup verses being spoken. This is a dark moment in a deep valley. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. I don't need your advice. I don't need your quick remedy. I need your presence. That's your few. Do you have a few? Do you have a few that when life goes wrong and gets really dark, they choose to be there and you trust them? To, to, you trust them with your sorrow, you trust them with your hurt, you trust them with your soul. I know it's scary because a lot of you got to the group as far as intimacy goes and you had a Judas in your group. And you got hurt because you thought they might be your few and you, you, you were honest about what was going on in your life and it became gossip it became, it became fodder for them to talk to other people about around the water cooler. And so you wrote off the entire group where you could find your few because of one Judas in the number. Here's what I want to submit to you. Jesus knew that Judas was in his group before Judas went Judas. And if Jesus knew that Judas would be in the group and there would be a need for him to both extend forgiveness and, and, and deal with the damage of what comes whenever you have a Judas in your group, perhaps he did it so that we then would know how to deal with the Judases in our group whenever they hurt us. Judas didn't keep Jesus from intimacy with his disciples. It didn't keep him from intimacy with breaking bread with them and it shouldn't keep you from intimacy with a church because you had a Judas experience. In order for any human relationship to exist, you're going to learn, have to learn how to both extend and receive forgiveness. If you can't receive forgiveness, you can be in the assembly, but you can't have a group. Because you can just change it up when people hurt you if you're in the assembly. If you can't extend forgiveness, you can be in the assembly, but you can't have a group and you won't find your few. Because there's going to come times where you have to receive the fact that you failed people. And we're not shocked by it. Your few are not shocked that you failed. It's only in the assembly that you've built the guys up that you're perfect and you walk on water. Nobody else is thinking they're Jesus in your group or your few. <laughs> so, so y'all don't, we don't want this kind of intimacy. It's scary. It's where you're seen. Marriage is supposed to be the place where we're most naked, but for a lot of us, because of the brokenness of our own sinfulness, we're covered up in our own marriages. Therefore, we can't be uncovered in a few, around a few friends that are supposed to walk faithfully with us through the worst of life. So covered up marriages lead to covered up fuse where we're surface level but we're not below the surface so we can't grow over a season of time significantly because we don't have the right few with us to spur us on, to challenge us, to love Jesus, love the church, and love us in that order. So we're stagnant because we don't have a few. Now, some of you have a few, but it's the wrong few. And you hang out with this few all the time. Every Friday and Saturday night, you're breaking commandments with them left and right. And look, if your friends and your few fit Hank Williams Jr. songs verse by verse and word by word, you've got the wrong few. Like just in the words of Jess Foxworth, you might be a redneck if, or here's your sign with Bill Limbaugh. Like, like you might have the wrong few if Hank Williams is singing your life modding. You're like, that's our song. Okay, that's a bad few. That's a bad few. All my routed friends have settled down. That, you should be on that side of the few. Okay. Like, you don't, you don't live long acting like Bo Cephas. At some, some point, you got to meet Jesus. I'm, I'm speaking to someone. There's some person from Woodruff. I'm feeling I'm just kidding. I, I, I went to Woodmont. I understand your, your dysfunction. It's a, it's a different kind of redneck. Um, 
Gasoline, fire. Okay. <laughs> How do you know you have a bad few? Give me, let me give you a few tips if you have a bad few. There's a such bad few called a destructive few. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, it says this. Uh, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Why, because they did something wrong? No, because you were friends with a fool. And there's a destructive few in your life that if you're not careful, they, they will bring their destruction, their drama, and their chaos to you. It's the kind of friend that has drama all around them, and they're like, it's always dramatic around me. Why is there so much drama? And you're, you want to look at them and like, you're the eye of the storm. You're the drama. Every, let, let's, let's do math. On Facebook, you post, there's drama. At church, you show up, there's drama. At work, you go there, guess what? There's drama. At Christmas, you end up fighting with your uncle in the front yard, guess what? There's drama. The only common denominator in all of those spaces is why, oh, you, I can't be friends with you. Because here's what happens when you're friends with this few. When the destructive few become your friend, they cause conflict, arguments, and drama everywhere they go. Their foolishness becomes your mess, and you're constantly cleaning it up repeatedly. If you're single and you're dating this guy, dump him, because you're going to end up being another mama to him. Let me help you out. If you're married... There's hope, there's grace. No, Pastor Russ isn't up here going with, hey, Pastor Russ, they said you're not my few no more, so I'm leaving, see ya. No, like, like that, that's not where we're going. That's a different point. We've already made a covenant. Let's work through it. God's grace is in it. He gave us a portion of his spirit. Don't, don't you start putting words in my mouth. Create drama. But if they're the wrong few and they're the destructive few, their foolishness becomes your mess. They lack self-control, so you constantly have to be on damage control around them. Their pessimism becomes your pessimism. Their constant criticalness becomes your, uh, makes you critical about everything in your life. You see, you can have a few, and it can be the wrong few, and they can be leading in the wrong direction. And instead of being more like Jesus, you're becoming more like someone else. Last time I heard, the, the person who's like the one that kills, steals, and destroys is Satan, not Jesus. And the goal isn't that we become more satanic, but that we would become more Christ-like. Number two, how do you know you have the wrong few? You have an unforgiving few in your life. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Can they forgive you? Some people can't. Uh, they can't, not, not while you're close. And, and for whatever reason, they're, they're just not going to be able to get there with you in their life. And so, so for some people, you, you, you can't trust your faults and your flaws with them anymore because they're using them as ammunition. And at the right time, they'll tell that same story about what you did a decade ago to the new people that God's bringing into your life to try and give them pause or some sort of consternation about stepping into your life because all they know to do is to somehow get identity off of your brokenness, which makes them feel a little less broken inside. Do you have the wrong few? People that can't cover up an offense, but they blab the offense to everyone as a prayer request. This is an example of something you don't want. I had a husband and wife, they sat down in my office, and by God's grace, their marriage is in a much better place now, but they sat down, they've been married for about 13 years, and she looked at me, and he looked at me, and he hung his head immediately. No words were spoken. He just sat down, hung his head, because every man is like, hey, let's go to marriage counseling, talk about our feelings, it's going to be great, it's going to be awesome. <clears throat> Said most no men ever. <laughs> so they sat down, and for the next 15 minutes, she laid out every wrong he had ever done. And I finally looked at him and I said, has she ever forgiven you for anything you've done? And he didn't want to answer me because <laughs> that would become more ammunition. Now, he, he was afraid to, to speak up because he knew that she couldn't let go of what he had done no matter what he said, no matter how long it had been. And for some of you, you've got that few in your life. If you're married to them, we should work on it. If you're not married to them, you should leave. Y'all didn't know I was going to get this practical today, huh? Y'all thought I was yelling scream? Okay, we'll go back to that next week. Number three, how do you know you have the wrong few? You have a fake few, a fake few. Proverbs 19.4, uh, wealth brings many new friends. Did y'all know that? You hit the lottery, you can find some people to hang out with you. You get you a box at Bond Secure, I'll come hang out with you. Every I miss Jason Aldean because my budget ran out. I, I, I've been, I, I was, I'm, I'm good to chill on a dirt road if you're paying. <laughs> Just saying. Just because they want to hang out with you when things are going good and you've got money does not mean 
that they should be in your few. It says, a poor man is deserted by his friends. Proverbs 19.6 goes on to say, many seek the favor of a generous man and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. Some of you have a fake few, fake friends who are always taking but they never give. (laughs) So it's constant withdrawals, no deposits. That's not friendship. Let me make sure you understand that. Like if it's always we flip the bill, we bear the burden, we, we carry the weight, and you guys freeload and enjoy it. Those are not friends. They have entered into a contractual relationship with you and are enjoying the fact that you're paying for everything. Backing up their bills to your door and going, thanks for the help. By the way, if this is your child and they're over 18, do them a favor and kick them out of your basement. Help them grow up. The point of parenthood is that you launch kids like arrows into the world. For some of you, you're like, the arrow keeps coming back. It's not a boomerang, okay? It's an arrow. It goes one direction. And the goal is that we raise up a child in the way they should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. But there's a point in time where what you've taught them and invested in them by God's grace has to go out into the world. And whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And we have to trust that God is a faithful God that pursues us and loves us. And sometimes mom and dad can get in the way of the Holy Spirit if we're not careful. And you need to stop Okay, that's a soapbox I don't have time for. A fake few. They're there because the the money flows, because you bail them out. But they're not really your friends. Don't make them your few. Number four, you have a disloyal few. Proverbs 19.7. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words. I need you. I need help. He pursues them with words, but does not have them. Does not have them. These are friends who desert you in your time of need. They are no friends at all. They're disloyal friends. They're there and want to be around you when it benefits them, but they are long gone the second it costs something to be in your presence. Do you have a disloyal few? Number five, do you have an it's all good few? And it's all good few. Proverbs 25, 20 says this. I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you. I don't normally do this, but I want to give you this because I want to know who your few are. Proverbs 25, 20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Here's my question. Can your few laugh with you and mourn with you? Can they multiply joy? Can they divide grief? Because if they can't divide grief, then they can't be your few. Otherwise, you'll just be carrying the weight of the grief in the most difficult of seasons. They can, can they succeed with you and can they suffer with you? It's a good question, right? There's a lot of people that can succeed with me, but can they suffer the hardship, the, the, the worst of seasons of life with you? That's a few you want around you. Now, they were all encouraged and we have no friends. Let me give you some signs that we have a good few around us. Here's a good few. Couple things. Ready? Number one, they challenge you in your pursuit of Christ. Hebrews 10 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. So when you're around them, you lead them and you want to be more Christ like. You, you want to read your Bible more. You want to pursue Jesus harder. You want to be more committed to your church. Uh, you you want to be more like Jesus because you've been around them. They challenge you. Number two, they point out your blind spots in love. So many of us think a friend is someone who will just sin with us and not tell anyone else about the sinful behavior that's not righteous, not making us more like Jesus, and we'll just cover it up. Those aren't friends either. Those are people that idolize you. And remember what I said a couple of weeks ago about people who idolize you? If they idolize you, eventually they'll demonize you. That's the way it works. (laughs) When you're not the serviceable Savior for them, they demonize you for not giving them what only God can give them. And So so here's what you need to understand. There's going to come a point in time where you're going to need a, a person that looks you and goes, hey, looks you in the eye, and you trust them, and they go, you're losing your mind, and that's not Christ-like. What you said may have been truthful, but we are to not only be truthful, but graceful. And the two are not contradictory to each other. We are, to, as followers of Jesus, we are to be gracious with truth. We are to season our speech with salt. It should be a fragrant aroma, and what you just did to your kid, to your coworker, on Facebook, whatever, is not Christ-like. I have a kid uh, who was in my youth group who went on to serve in our military. He is hilarious, um, great guy, and he said something that was honestly truthful, but not Christ-like the other day on social media. 
And as a pastor and a friend, I reached out to him and said, while I may relate to the things that you feel in that post, the way that you communicated that was not Christ-like or gracious. We can do better. Do you have a friend that'll look at you and say stuff like that? And you know they love you. You know that they're not trying to shame you, but they want God's best for you. That's the kind of few you want. The kind of few that can point out your blind spots in love. Number three, they're the kind of few who will endure with you through hardship. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the idea. Like, I want you to think about the construct of church. The, the idea is that we would be an ecclesia, a gathering of people. It's not in a building. Uh, Paul said in Acts 17, God is not uh, trapped in a house that is built by hands, but he now has put his presence in us, and he lives in us, and he set up his temple inside of you and me. So we're the church, and when we get together, we encourage each other, and we remind each other of the gospel, and we remind each other of this redeemed identity that's new to us that we're walking in that's not performance-based, but it's grace-based, and it's built on the word and the work of Christ. And you get a group of people around you that remind you of that enough to where you start walking on it and believing it, and you stop just showing up to hear church and go, oh, that was great, sort of, and you went a little longer than I wanted you to go, and I missed my life, whatever. Okay, and all of a sudden, you're like, how do we actually take that and, and allow that by God's spirit and God's grace to change our marriage and to change our family and to change our neighborhood and to change our community? And next thing you know, Jesus starts showing up and stuff. And as a community, you're like, wow, he's doing stuff. I didn't know he did stuff anymore. I thought he just, you know, we read about him doing stuff. And, and, and you move from being a people who talk about a move of God to being a move of God. Next thing you know, you're the people of God experiencing the power of God and the presence of God. And the world begins to look at you and they're attracted to you because you're the light and the darkness and the salt the earth you're like I want some of that and then revival breaks out and next thing you know you're like man we don't have enough seats in this place not because the pastor's good and he's barefoot and the band's really good and Shannon you know she's funny none of that stuff begins to wager into it because it's about the presence of God all of a sudden in, at work in the people of God and you begin to experience the fruit of God in such a way that you want to be around that community and you've got some people that when life goes upside down you're like I'll go to war with them and they're like I'll go to war with you and you're like let's go and you, you go and take on the grief and it's divided and you get through it, through it better than you ever thought that you were going to get through it because God gave you a few in that season to walk with. That, that's the beauty of Christian community, y'all. This is not a foreign concept. This is the expected Christian experience for those that are in Christ Jesus. And hell knows it and works overtime against it. <laughs> because if you found your few, huh, you would grow. If you found your few, you'd become more like Jesus. Oh man, if you would find your few, the darkness would be pushed back. If you found your few, you would connect with the purpose for which you were created for on this side of eternity. And you begin to get to live the life that can only be described by the power and the presence of God. Not because you're a superhero Christian, but because you're around an incredible God who's at work in a very broken, but transformed and made new people. I, this is an incredible thing. Do they endure through hardship with you? Number four, are they the type of Christ follower that you want to mimic? There's a lot of Christians that I don't want to be like. <laughs> Saved and over it, don't want to be like them. Unfruitful, I don't want to be like them. I've been them. So let me be very clear. I'm not saying we're going to do this and we're better than everybody else. No, we are very jacked up and broken. Here's what we're going to get, though. Really honest about it and really dependent on Jesus. We're not going to tolerate like this staunchness of like, I'm just going to cross my arms, cross my legs, sit here and get through it, and I'm going to go home and do whatever I want to do. Everyone's like, oh, I'm going to cross. I'm not talking to you. I'm just, I'm just saying. You know, like, there's just that posture. No, we're, we're going we're gonna to serve at his feet. We're going to rip roofs off of houses to get our friends close to Jesus. We're going to climb in trees because we want to see Jesus. We're not, we're not going to be comfortable with the crowd. We, we want to be in the few. And, and here's the good news. Jesus wants to be at the center of the few. He's an incredible friend. Are the people in your few the type of people that you want to mimic? And in mimicking, they'll become more like Jesus. Okay, so if they're your few, if they're your few, like you're like, I got some people, I got some prospects, I'm thinking about asking them, like, hey, let's be a few together. And they're like, I don't know what that is. I didn't go to church that Sunday. Uh, <clears throat> here's the question. The question isn't do they love you. The question first is do they love Jesus? 
Because if they love you more than they love Jesus, they'll idolize you and they'll compromise who you've been called to become like because their ultimate gain is your presence, not the presence of God at work in you. So they have to love Jesus if they're gonna be your few, number one. Number two, they have to love the church if they're gonna be your few. Why? Because there's gonna come a time where you look at the people in this assembly and you're gonna be like, I could, I could do without them. I don't really need any of those people. And God's like, no, you, you need them, they're sandpaper. They don't look at the world the same way you do. And, and that's, that's what we've done. You know, there's like, I think I read it the other day, there's four, over 4,000 denominations in the world because we, we didn't learn how to find unity in the gospel. Instead, we found unity in our, you know, disunity. So we just divided up because we didn't want to get along. Like, I, I love the tension of getting like the staunch verse by verse only cessationist, like the Holy Spirit stopped moving at the canonization of scripture person in a room with someone who is a continuationist who loves Jesus. And I just like, let's let that happen. So some of you are like, what kind of church is this gonna be? That kind of church where everyone gets a little frustrated with each other from time to time because if not, we're not doing it right. <laughs> and, and we need to be reminded, like, like we need those people in our life. We need people that remind us of the foundational truth of the word of God and its sufficiency to, to remind us and teach us and correct us. We need the word of God and we need the spirit of God to move in a fresh and powerful way in our life, not in contradiction to the scripture, but in lighting and bringing the scripture to life in our midst. And those things do not go in different churches. They actually are one church that Jesus bled and died to put together. And I would submit to you that they don't belong in different assemblies, but they actually belong in groups together and maybe even becoming a few together, even though they irritate the snot out of us from time to time because you just want them to lift their hand once, just once, just one, I promise just one time it's going to be awesome. And they're like, I just want you to read through an entire John Piper book once, just once. It's going to be awesome. Just read all the whole thing, cover it. And, and that's kind of the idea, I think, right? Like if, if our assembly, if our few can be described as, well, they all love Clemson. It's not really attractive. They all love the same team. They all have the same interests. I mean, like, no, no. They all love Jesus. They're marked by Jesus. They're filled with the spirit of God. They, they're, they're, they're becoming the, the hands and feet of God. That, that's the marker of what we're after. So if, if you don't have a few, I would encourage you to be preemptive in finding your few. Don't wait on them to find you. You go and find them. We are gonna set up groups, but it's your job to get into a group so that in that group, there could be a time that comes where on a Friday night without any provoking of the church telling you, hey, fry a turkey together. You are like, hey, I actually wanna hang out with them. Let's go and eat food. It's a crazy thing. Be preemptive, you take the first step. Number two, be gracious to those who can't be your few. Some people want a seat at your table and they can't have a seat at your table right now because life or for whatever reason, it's, it's in a season where you can't add anymore. Don't, don't be cold hearted. I can't, can't be my few. No, like invite them, allow them to be in your group. Be friendly, be kind. As God is appointing people in your life, they may be in a future appointment in your life and you don't wanna burn the bridge before it ever gets there. Does that make sense? On the flip side, whenever you're pursuing a few in your life and they don't have room for you, be gracious to them. It's okay. No need for you to like take your ball and go home. Don't be Cartman. Stop with that. I tried one time 10 years ago, 96, when the Olympics were in Atlanta, I signed up for a group and no one called me. I'm never doing that again. Get over it. We're people, we screw things up. Like, don't hold on to unforgiveness. It's not, they're not hurting over you not forgiving them. You're the one hurting yourself. Some are like, I want blood for what they did. Okay, Jesus bled blood, so forgive them. Freely you've received, freely you forgive. Forgive them. Extend forgiveness and let's move on. I'm not saying you gotta move on with them. There's a difference between forgiving them and being reconciled to them. I don't have time to break that down for you. So just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean you're reconciled to them. And just because they've forgiven you doesn't mean you're gonna be besties. It means the blood of Jesus has accounted for they're letting it account for what's been done. They don't want vengeful things for you. They're wishing you well, but you may not be best friends. That's okay. It takes time to reconcile. Be gracious to those who can't be your few. Number two. Number three, specifically uh, or sacrificially love your few. Like when you find them, love them well. I, my few, the guys in my life that, that know me below the surface, like I look at them, I'm like, I love you. 
I love you. We just become best friends. Yes, we did. We just became best friends. I mean, like we, we love each other well. And you should too. Like there, there should be some, you can't love everybody. You, you have human limitations. You have children and they're going to suck all the time and love out of you for a season of life. And it's going to be a part of it, okay? And we're going to do it. It's good. Children are good. But there should be a few friends that you, you love. Man, their birthday is a big deal. <laughs> their celebrations are a big deal. My friend Sergio and his wife Ellie, they're some of our few. At 2.30 this morning on the West Coast, they welcomed their first child. And guess who got a text at 2 in the morning and stood up and started hooting and hollering like a, like a ridiculous. It's not my child, but I love that. Oh, Evangeline, she's going to be loved by me. Because I love Sergio. That's my guy. If Sergio's in trouble and I had to spend my last dime to get there, I would get on the airplane right now and I'd be at his house. Sergio went rogue I'd go and run him down that's my few when you find your few unapologetically lavish love on them finally if you don't have them find your few and here's what we're doing at at four points if you uh, are struggling to connect here's what I want you to know We, we had 22 community groups before 2020 started here at four points church and 2020 and 2021 did a number last week I think we had two meet so we're struggling to create space for people to find connection around Jesus and each other. And we need some of you to, some of you to create space in a group. So we're going to do a group launch in January. And we're going to do training this fall. That training is not just going to be a class where we hand you tons of stuff. But like my wife and I, in the month of November and early December, are going to run a group the way that we would run a group in our house. We're going to pray for one another and confess our sin to one another. I'm going to look at you and go, look, there was this video on Instagram and I was scrolling through and I watched and lingered on something I shouldn't have lingered on as long as I lingered on it. I've got anger in my heart that I shouldn't be holding on to. And I'm going to look at some of you in the face and say, can you pray for me? Not can you fix me, but can you pray for me? We're going to pray for one another and confess our sin to one another and we're going to watch Jesus work and move. And then my goal is that you would create space in the new year for others to find their group. And in that group, maybe by God's grace, they would find their view. Pastor Ross is going to come up in a minute and give you a way to sign up to be one of those group leaders that's in that training. But as we respond, let me just get you to consider this as you stand to your feet. Do you have a few? If the answer is no, we want to help you get there through a group. Okay? It's going to take time. You can't just make it happen overnight. Have you forgiven people who were a part of that few that hurt you? If the answer is no, then we would invite you right now to forgive. Have you given up on the ecclesia, the assembly, the church? Man, God's at work in the mess. And we'd invite you to break bread and find a home here. Not because we're not going to hurt you. We're going to need you to forgive us. And we're going to need to extend forgiveness to you. But I promise you, by God's grace, God's going to do something beautiful in this messiness of what we call humanity. Whatever it is that the Lord would have you do, you move. We're going to stand to our feet and sing. If you need prayer, we'll be here to pray with you. If you need to give your life to Jesus, we're here to pray with you. If you need to come and bend a knee and pray at this altar, you do that. But you move as the Lord leads in Jesus' name.